Hi, this is George Cao, and here is another sample of a course that I enjoy teaching. I hope you'll gain some good ideas here that you can use right away. If you'd like to dive into the full course, check out the show notes below, and you'll find a link where you can enroll in the full course. Either way, I hope you enjoyed the sample. All right, so welcome back, Conscious Money Flow. This is session number four. I'm glad that I didn't scare you away too badly with the previous session, but I'll do my best in this one. <laughs> no, I um, I really was looking forward to this. I, I've, I've been looking forward to this uh, exact topic for months now in preparing for this course. Uh, this is my favorite topic of, of the whole you know series thus far. And I know some of you uh, will be very into this and some of you might feel like, oh, I'm not ready for investing yet. I'm still trying to make or save enough money. But it's really good to have these principles kind of being absorbed for you now so that when you are ready to invest, and by the way, if you have $100, you are ready to invest. So whenever you have $100, uh, you are ready to put it into the market and let it work for you. Why not, right? Because these days, as of this recording anyway, in 2021, the high yield, so-called high yield savings accounts are what? 0.65% or something like that. I mean, did you know, I mean, you, a lot of you probably know this. Inflation is somewhere usually between two to 3% per year. Now, why, why is that important? It means that if you, if you keep your money in cash, you are losing two to three percent per year in spending power. You have a hundred dollars that you can spend today. Let's say a hundred dollars buys you um, a certain amount of, you know, milk. All right, soy milk, almond milk, whatever milk you want. Okay, hundred dollars buys you a certain amount of milk this year. Next year, you have to spend one hundred and two or one hundred and three dollars to buy the same amount of milk. Every year that happens, that's called inflation. And so if you don't invest your money, you're essentially losing your spending power every year. Now, obviously we can't invest all our money because we do need to keep some in cash as an emergency fund. We talked about that in the previous session. So the emergency fund and other kind of more immediate or midterm spending that you keep in cash, when I say cash, I don't literally mean like what my mother-in-law does literally keeps cash underneath her mattress, like between, like she keeps a lot of money, like in, in you know, in paper bills in her home, which I, I, I'm quite uncomfortable with. What I mean by cash is money in your savings account or checking account. So it's good to keep some cash in case of emergencies, but uh, beyond the, you know, immediate or, or emergency midterm spending, you should put as much as possible into investments so that you can at least beat inflation and not lose your spending power too much over time. So without further ado, let me go ahead and show you what I've got for you today in the uh, document. Um, and so this, uh, we're going to start around, well, let me go and show you here. Uh, uh, below the session three homework, we're going to start with the session four uh, ideas today. And, um, you know, this is an important disclaimer. Every, uh, you know, money teacher does this. And I think it is, it is, it's a good reason to do it because 
it's too easy for you to give your power away to a teacher or a mentor or coach who says, I know best, just invest in this or that way, right? And that's dangerous for a couple of reasons. One is that the teacher, myself or mentor or whatever, doesn't know your particular financial situation. Why does that matter? Because you might be closer to retirement than I am or farther away. You might have certain tax situations in your location, country, province, whatever, that I'm not aware of. And so when I tell you to invest in this, you don't realize you're getting me taxed 30% on that. I couldn't tell because I don't know your situation. That's why, that's why those of us who are money teachers always say, please check with your tax professional. We're not just saying that to cover our ass. We are. <laughs> but really, if you wanted to sue people, you could sue anybody. But um, it's important for your own, truly, for your own financial situation to make sure you work it out with your tax preparer. Uh, that's the most, the most important person you should work with financially is the person who, who prepares your taxes, your CPA, your um, tax preparer, whatever they're called in your country, um, because they'll be able to tell you. And uh, give me one moment here. So go ahead and work with your tax professional. And some of you may even want to hire a financial advisor. Now, my own sense of things is I, I don't want to work with a financial advisor because I've done my own research and I'm really quite happy with my research. But if you are somebody who tends to be quite emotional with regards to investments and money, like when the stock market goes down a little bit, you're like, oh, I had $100,000, now I have $80,000. I'm going to sell everything. The financial advisor is well worth their payment if they can prevent you from selling during a downturn. Truly, that's, that's like the most, <laughs> really, that's the most... Uh, that's where they're worth their salt and worth their gold is they prevent you. No, no, don't sell. Don't sell. The market will always go back up. You had a hundred thousand. Now you have 85,000. Now you have 50,000. Now you have the great crash of 2021. Now you had a hundred thousand. Now you have $30,000 left. Should you sell the financial advisor who's worth their gold to say, no, do not sell because the market will go. You had a hundred thousand earlier. Now you have 30,000. You lost $70,000 in the market. Oh my gosh, should you freak out and sell? No, because it's going to go back up to 120,000 in a year or two or three if you're just patient. So the financial advisors are really, really especially good for that. Plus, if they know taxes, then they're they're also very valuable. Personally, if you if 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 I if I do my own research, if you do your own research, you could save tens of thousands over the years uh, if you are confident enough to not use financial. So it's really up to you. All right, so let's keep going here. There are some principles I, I encourage you, I urge you <laughs> to read these principles in this document, okay? There are, I think, 11 or 12 principles that I've given you here, and every principle I've given you includes some additional resources that I believe are pleasant to look at. You know, there's some videos to look at, there's some nice charts and, and articles that are quite easy to read, to look at, et cetera, et cetera. So will you promise me <laughs> to read these principles? You will save yourself years of agony if you read these, and you probably will save yourself, truly, if you apply these principles, you'll save yourself tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even more over the years if you follow these principles. I, it took me a long time to figure these things out. 
And um, I think it'll save you a lot of time. So I'm not going to read every word to you because I want to uh, you know, answer the questions for those who are live on the call, uh, but you can read them. <laughs> and you can also ask me questions if you have questions on any of these things, as you know how to ask questions by this point in the document, just by you know, highlighting a particular phrase or word, clicking on the plus button, and then typing your question and clicking comment, as, as you know. So I'm not going to read everything, but I will call out a couple of principles out of the 13 or 12 that I want to particularly highlight because there might be some explanation needed. And this is one of them. So why does the stock market always go up? Now, very important to clarify, individual stocks don't always go up. You think Tesla is so hot today? Tesla could have a down period of 30 years, and it will be long enough for you where you're like regretting for the rest of your life. You think Apple is so hot today or Amazon or Zoom or whatever, GameStop? <laughs> okay, whatever you think is hot today, any individual stock or Bitcoin or other crypto, anything that's individual stock will be hot in one period and maybe down for too long for you to survive it. So. Don't depend on individual stocks. You think Amazon's going to be great forever. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. Some innovation, some entrepreneur will come along and maybe destroy Amazon in the coming decades. We don't know, okay? Or something else might happen in society. So do not trust individual stocks. What can you trust though? You can entrust the entire stock market. Why is that? If you trust the ability of human beings to be creative to solve problems, to be entrepreneurial, as long as human beings are alive, then you can trust the stock market will always go up over time. Now, just like, George, that's, that's not true. What about the dot-com bubble burst? What about the mortgage crisis, 2008? So many of us lost money. What about the pandemic crash? I've given you three examples, George, where the stock market doesn't always go up. Is that right? Did you really give me those three examples? Because let me show you those three examples, all right? You can do this research yourself. Go to Google Finance. Everybody has access to this, right? Go to Google Finance and search S&P 500 and click on the one that says INX, which is the index, which is basically the, you know, sort of like the gold standard for the stock market is the S&P 500, okay? And then once you get there, I want you to click on max, all right? Once you get the S&P 500 index, click on max. And let's take a look at this together. Now, if you, if you know nothing, and I just showed you this chart, okay, that goes from 1981, so 30-year chart, to 2021, those of you who are watching this right now, would you invest in this over a 10, 20, 30-year period? The answer is absolutely yes. Why wouldn't you? I wish my parents were smart enough to have put $10,000 in 1981 into the S&P 500. Because the $10,000 in 1981 was $132, basically, at that price per, per share, essentially. Today, is $4,100, <laughs> okay? So essentially, almost 40 times. So if they had put $10,000 in for me in 1981, it would be worth $400,000 today. $10,000. But instead, they put more than $10,000. They put tens of thousands into my college 
which I, <laughs> I kind of regret because I wish I would have been picked up by some entrepreneurial mentor. I went into the entrepreneurial program instead of spending five years in college, not knowing what I'm supposed to do. I still didn't know after I graduated and wasted a couple tens of thousands in one year of law school. Anyway, I dropped out of law school. Couldn't stand. I'm still paying off those loans today. So all that money, if I, even if I had put it in during the, okay, let's, let's, let's look at this. If my, if my parents were smart enough and urged me, do not take out student loans, all right, here, don't, don't take out student loans for, for law school. We're just going to put in, you know, uh, $50,000 in to the S&P 500 in July 7, okay, August 18 of 2000, because, hey, the dot-com bubble, dot-com craze. We are going to make lots of money. We're going to be millionaires. We're going to put our money, all of our money in. Okay. August of 2000, they put all their money in, let's say. Okay. All right. Let's say they put in $100,000, all of their life savings into the, and then the next month it starts going down. They start freaking out. And then within a year, it's down even further. Within two years, they feel like a fool. And maybe some of you have felt that way in the stock market. And then they keep feeling like they feel, they feel terrible. Now, they only feel terrible if they didn't study the principles I'm about to teach you. Okay? Guess what? They, they either feel like a fool or a failure for seven years. Or if they understood these principles, they would be patient and keep some humor for seven years. <laughs> okay? Got it? I want you to keep humor when you've lost tens of thousands in the stock market and never sell your shares. Can you promise me, raise your hand if you promise me to never sell your shares during a downturn. Now, again, check with your financial professional and tax professional because there's such a thing as tax loss harvesting. And for some of you, it may make sense to sell your shares during a downturn. But if you're looking for the long-term, chances are don't sell your shares. Raise your hand. Other than tax loss harvesting, if you're savvy enough, raise your hand. If you will not sell your shares during a downturn, when you lose money in the stock market, do not sell your shares. Okay, thank you. Okay, so they, they say, okay, two, seven years, I've waited. Now my money is even higher, just slightly higher than what I had before. See, George was right. The stock market always goes up. George is so smart. Okay, and then the next month, and then next year, George is a stupid idiot. Look at this. I lost money again. That same money I put in dot-com 2000 is now worth half in 2009. George is a effing idiot. What did he tell me to do? Okay. I'm such a fool. I should never have listened to him. No. Remember patience. Ah, okay. Patience. Yes. Let's keep humor about all this. Can we wait another seven years? Can we do that? Let's practice patience. Let's meditate <laughs> for seven years, okay? All right, let's be patient. Patience, 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 patience. Seven years later, didn't I tell you? Not even seven years, actually. Uh, six years later, you're back up. You're back up. George was right. Oh, that was a 14-year cycle. From the dot, height of the dot-com, I was, I, I, I was swept up in the mania, and I put all my life savings in the dot-com bubble, in the height of the bubble. And I had to be, I had to meditate for 14 years. And there was a website called Mindfully Investing 
I think it's .com, but let's see, mindfullyinvesting.com. Yes. That guy is, is amazing. You should read his blog because that guy basically had that happen to him. That's why he ended up going into mindfulness because he invested and then he had to be mindful for 14 years or whatever. Okay. But now he's a genius because look, his, his uh, $100,000 at the height of the dot-com bubble is now worth $400,000 today. Now, yes, there may be another crash. Okay. The crash of 2021, 2022, 2023, but look at, look, the crash never goes very far. Do you notice that? Do you notice that even the crash, the pandemic crash of 2020 was still higher. You still had more money if you had been stupid, so-called and invested at the height of the dot-com bubble or at the height of the mortgage bubble or whatever you want to call it, you still had more money at the depths of the pandemic crash. Are, Are you getting me here? Is this making sense? Do you have any questions before we move on? And I appreciate those of you who are live here and chatting. Claire says it's very scary when markets go down, but staying on the long term is the way to make good money. Claire, you, you mentioned that you have seen several downturns, and I really appreciate that. I wish I had been wise enough to invest early on to see several downturns. And by the way, the next time the downturn happens, we can all kind of get together in community. I, I may, in fact, send an email out to let's all get together and meditate, you know, <laughs> and remember and revisit the principles and look at the charts and, and re- re- remember that, guess what? History repeats itself. Why does history repeat itself? Because human beings don't evolve that quickly. And let me also tell you this. Human beings do evolve over time. And I'll tell you what one financial evolvement, uh, one evolution in the financial markets that will benefit you in the future. They have learned over time, the stock, the stock people, stock market people have learned over time, you know, the people who run the indexes and run the, the, the whatever, Wall Street, have learned over time that people freak out, <laughs> okay, essentially. So what they've done is whenever there's a giant downturn, they turn off the spigot. Have you noticed that? Uh, those of you who've lived through several downturns now, notice that in recent years, they turn off the spigot. They disallow trading for people to cool off. Have you heard of that in the news? They, they, they do that now. They didn't used to do that, which is why the crashes used to be worse. Now the crashes are not quite, I mean, yes, by the time they turn it off, it may have crashed a lot already, but they'll, they'll turn off the speaker to say, everyone, meditate. Well, you're all freaking out. That's why you're all selling, which is a bad idea, right? You all didn't study the principles, George Caltadas, you're all selling. All right, let's turn off the speaker. Don't let anyone sell for, for like a day or you know eight hours or whatever. All right, everyone, take a deep breath. Notice that this is a really good time to buy, really good time to get into the market now that the thing has gone really down. And then suddenly, why does it shoot back up? Let me show you again. Why does, why does this happen? Why does it go down dramatically and almost the next day, right? The next like week, it shoots back. What, what's happening here? What's happening here is smart investors go, oh my God, I can get such a good deal. I can buy shares at 2,500 right now. And right in April of 2020, you could buy it at 2,500. And in April of 2021, you would have earned almost double. You would have almost doubled your money, right? So smart investors are greedy when people are fearful and they are a little bit fearful when people are greedy. Right now, as of this recording, people are quite greedy and the markets are going up like ridiculous amounts. Now, a good question from Maria is, 
you know, I know it's not advised to time the market when trying to trying to invest money, but will you still buy currently when the market is going up or will you wait for it to drop a bit before buying? I love this question. I love this question. And let me show you what I do. Okay. I look at a one month chart. Okay. Now let me, let me, let me just first talk to you face to face, eyes to eyes. Studies have shown that when you take two people, one person waits for a year or two for a big crash before they put in a lot of money, thinking that they're so smart, they're going to buy it. They're going to go into the stock market when it's cheap, when there's a big crash. So one person waits a year or two, sometimes three to four years, and then they put in a lot of money during a crash. That's uh, Tammy Timer. Tammy the Timer. Okay. Tammy the Timer waits sometimes three to five years to put in her money because she's really smart during a crash. Okay. And then uh, uh, Dorothy the Diligent says, you know what? I, I'm, I don't know if I'm that smart. I don't know if I can see the future when it's going to. So I'm just going to put in money. Ma uh, Maria the Monthly. Okay. Uh, Maria, I'm going to use your name. Maria the Monthly says, you know what? George just says, why don't you just try to put in money every month? Just once a month, invest some more money. Even if it's $50, even if it's $100, I'm going to invest every single month. Maria the Monthly versus Tammy the Timer. Guess who wins over, ten, over a 10-year, 20, or 30-year period? Take, the, take your pick. The longer you go, the more this is true. Maria the Monthly has more money quite a bit of money actually sometimes well if you if you if you look at the studies maria the monthly has at least slightly more money than tammy the timer now the problem with tammy the timer is that she's kind of biting her fingernails every month looking for a crash and it's kind of like what kind of mindset do you have when you're like wishing for a crash on the whole world you see what i mean like tammy the timer is kind of sending out negative vibes like imagine if millions of people in the world we're wishing for a crash. Can you imagine that? It's probably not the best thing. I mean, whether you whether you believe in that kind of mental vibes having some effects on the market, or whether you believe simply that people are kind of cynical about you know human innovation and capitalism. Oh yeah, there's going to be a crash at some point. So good thing to know. Well, let me let me show you my resources for you here. If you want to know, George, is that really true? Can you give us some resources on this? Yes. Um, let me give you the second principle here. Okay. Invest as soon as possible and invest, invest often and early and often. Okay. So I will give you basically, if you read this, well, this goes to a Google search result for this phrase, time in the market beats timing the market. You could read all about it if you want to. And um, okay. And then uh, down here. Okay. I have a couple of videos for you. These two videos are really worth watching, really worth watching. Perfect market timing versus terrible market timing. They even took three people. They took Tammy, uh, 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 Patty, the perfect timer. Okay. Always invests at the bottom of the market, only ever invest at the bottom market versus Maria, the monthly. Okay. Versus Willa, the worst timer. Okay, always invest at the top of the market. Okay, basically Maria wins. Isn't that great? 
So essentially, you don't have to try to be smart. You can just be like Maria and put in money every month. Now, I'm getting a little bit. <laughs> I'm trying to be a little bit fancy uh, from Maria. Here's how I, I'm a little bit fancier and feel like I can be more responsive to the market. I always invest every month, except every month I give myself a day. Say on the 11th of each month, I will put in the money, no matter what. Hear me out here. Tell me if this makes sense to you. I basically invest on the 11th. It doesn't matter what, whatever day you want. It doesn't pick a day every month to say I will put in my money on the 11th or by the end of the month or at the start of each whatever you want to say. But during those 30 days, I do kind of glance at the market and go, "Hey, the market's a little bit lower than last month. I'm going to put in. Maybe it's the 23rd. Okay, I'm going to put in my money now. Okay, let me, let me make it simpler for you." Let's say that you promise yourself you will always invest at the end of each month, but you enjoy looking at the markets. And and on the fifteenth, you notice that the market is under. If you look at a one month chart, you say, "Hey, the market is lower than last month. I'm going to put in my money now instead of at the end of the month." Does that make sense? And then at the end of the month, you don't put in your money. And the next month, same thing happens. You you will put in the money absolutely by the end of each month. But during the month, if the market is down, then you'll put it in at that point. So it's a little bit of market timing, but it's really more like being consistent every single month in doing that. Are there any questions? I've really just given you. I think it's the best investing advice. Uh, it took me a while to research this and figure this out. I wish I had someone had told me ten years ago. So um, now, I'll, I'll give you one more one more nuance here. Studies have shown that if you have a if you have a a lump sum to invest, let's say right now you've been keeping your money in your savings account, ten thousand dollars that you don't really need in the next five years, you could put that in the stock market. Should you put all ten thousand dollars in today, or should you drip that out? Let's say ten thousand. I, I don't want to invest ten thousand now because what if tomorrow or next month it, it crashes and I would feel so bad emotionally, right? Then you would do what Maria would do, which is take the ten thousand, divide it by six, or divide it by five. Okay, over the next five months, I will put in two thousand dollars a month, because then, just in case something crashes in the next three months, I won't feel this badly. That's called that's called dollar cost averaging is the is the consistent method, and lump sum investing is the I'm putting all in today. Now, mathematically, historically. What's strange is that lump sum investing has always won. Most of the time, it's sixty-seven, two-thirds of the time, lump sum investing ends up having more money. It's like ten thousand dollars. I don't know what the market's going to do, up or down. I put it all in today, and two-thirds of the time, that person has more money at, after ten, twenty, or thirty years. But emotionally speaking, we are probably we feel more in control when we divide up the ten thousand and just put in two thousand a month for the next five months. Does that make sense? Do you have any questions about that? Now, most of us have a regular period of money, regular money every month. Like, okay, this month my business got me a hundred dollars of profit, a thousand dollars of profit, whatever. Let me put in the hundred dollars this month. Most of us are doing periodic investments anyway. But if you have an inheritance, if you came into some large sums of money, you can still divide it up and invest it over the next five to ten months and feel more emotionally in control. Any question about that before we move on? 
Okay, and thank you, Cecilia, for asking about you know ethical investing, which what we're going to talk about next. But let me answer a couple of questions for you. Um, yeah, um, yeah, and Catriona just wrote. Um, I'm mispronouncing your name. I'm pretty sure um, that Tammy the timer in my family it has passed passed to me a bit. But I like Maria the monkey. Here's the thing: some people they were so bitten they were they were so hurt by the dot-com bubble that they're still waiting <laughs> to, to put their money in i mean they've been waiting for 20 years can you imagine they lost out on the enormous growth in the 20 you know 2010s and the early 2020s some people were so hurt by the mortgage bubble uh, yeah crisis that they're, they're still waiting on their money since 2010 2009 and they lost out on a whole decade of tremendous growth they would have doubled or tripled quadrupled their money. So that's why it's so dangerous to, to, to not invest. It's actually more dangerous not to invest for your long-term sake. Now, Cecilia asked a very good question. It's like, hmm, is eternal growth sustainable? It's a very good question. Can the market keep going? Yes, George, do the stock markets always go up forever? Here's why. Here's why. Here's why today's high is tomorrow's low. Here's why. Because humanity continues to improve upon their previous processes. Let me explain. In the past, we had no, we had to use fax machines <laughs> to send messages to each other, right? Remember the fax machines? Anybody? I had fax machines growing up, right? Now you could send a message through 20 ways. What do you want to do? Email? You want to do Facebook messaging? Do you want to do Instagram? Do you want to do Twitter? Do you you want to do whatever, you know, clubhouse to get together with a bunch of people. Now, what used to take three minutes or whatever, five minutes, you know, before that telegraph. So essentially, because time is always being saved, number one, with new conveniences, and also processes are always being improved. It's like, hmm, we used to think that leadership was about, you know, punishing your uh, students and your employees harshly until they do, right? That was human model of leadership for thousands of years. And now today we realize leadership is more about partnership. Like we, we had, it took us 2000 years to learn that, right? And so now with better leadership, companies run more effectively. Oh, we realized during the pandemic that maybe we don't have to get everybody into the office every single day for the rest of their lives. Maybe some of them can work from home at least part of the time. Do you understand? So the processes suddenly, so now office buildings are not needed, unfortunately, for the real estate market or the commercial estate. So you see what I mean? So humanity will always figure out ways to save time, save money, be better leaders, be better to each other, make better products. And that's why the stock market will always go up. It's not that you could say fiat currency is going to sustain itself forever. We don't know. Nobody can predict Bitcoin and crypto could give us a run for our money in the next 10 years, but we don't know. All the experts, never listen to an expert that says, I can tell you what's going to happen. If they say, I can absolutely tell you what's going to happen, you should probably go the other direction because the wisest financial experts and economic experts know that all we can do is take the biggest sample we can of historical returns. And that's all we can say is maybe this might happen again because humanity tends to repeat itself, history tends to repeat itself. Okay, so um, another question uh, is Jillian says, can we automatically invest, make deposits so that we don't have to 
be all clever and have to look at the markets all the time. I'm glad you asked. Mutual funds make it easy to automatically invest. ETFs, which is a different kind of fund, is more manual. Like most brokerages, don't allow you to automatically invest in ETFs. Mutual funds make that easy. You could put it on set and forget automatic investments. So,、um, okay. Another question is Cecilia. Thank you. Says, what about the time frame? You know, because what if by the time we retire, the market is in the down phase, right? I mean, look, look. I'll show you again here. What if you happened to retire? You have to retire at this point. What if you had to retire in two thousand and two? Or sorry, what if you had to retire in two thousand? And then when you retired with a million dollars, you know, by two thousand two, you had. Six hundred thousand dollars left. Here's what happens when, as you get closer to retirement, this is why one of my principles that I give you is asset allocation. Principle number eight. Okay, Cecilia, that's the answer to your question. To all of you who are worried that the time frame that you need the money, asset allocation is your answer. What do I mean by that? As you get closer to retirement, as you get within 15 years of your retirement, 10 years, five years, you should sell some of your stocks or stock funds and buy bond funds instead. What is a bond fund? A bond is when you lend money to the government or to corporations, and they promise to pay you back the money. That's different than a stock fund where you are an investor and they say, "We don't." Promise you that you're going to get your money back. You'll probably make some money with us, but there's no promises. Bond fund says, "No, we will get you your money back. If we don't pay you your money back, then our credit rating is going to go down, and we don't want that." So bond funds are much more secure that you're going to get your money back, probably with a percentage, maybe three to five percent increase every year, maybe one percent, depending on the kind of bond you are investing in. So. This is something that I hope you'll promise me you'll do as well. As you get closer to your retirement, take some money out of the stock funds and put more money into the bond funds. Which George, how much should I do that? How much should I put into the stock versus bond funds? Well, let me show you. Here in principle number eight, I give you a 100-year study that you can click on. They have pretty charts, so they make it easy for us to look at. This is from Vanguard. A hundred-year study from 1926 to 2020, approximately 100 years. How much can you expect as an average annual return by investing in 100% bonds? About six percent. Okay, that's not as true in the last 20 years, by the way.、Um, well, maybe, maybe.、Uh, anyway, I, I'm not going to say. I just let's just look at the hundred-year returns. What about if you invested in 100% stocks? Average annual is about 10%. By the way, four percent—that doesn't sound like a big deal. It is a huge deal. It's four percent is the difference between after thirty years you might have half a million more. I mean, something dramatic like that. Four percent is a big deal. Every half a percent of annual return over the long term is a big deal. Repeat after me: over the long term, twenty to thirty-year periods, every half a percent of average annual return. Is a big deal. It's several tens of thousands or several hundreds of thousands of dollars every half a percent. Okay, so basically, 
Well, George, if this is so high, why wouldn't you always be 100% in the stock market instead of having any funds at all? Like I said, because you might retire when the stock market is down for 14 years or <laughs> up and down for 14 years. Bonds tend to be much more steady. It's much more steady. It's not going to have these big swings that give you, you know, ulcers. Okay. Literally, there is something called the ulcer index. <laughs> you might look into that. Then literally, when people study this stuff, they have something called the ulcer index. Okay. So I've given you, I think, um, some of the key principles. One more key principle I'm going to give you is this. Okay. You can relax and know that lazy portfolios and passive investing usually win. I mean, when I say usually, I mean 89% of the time. So let me, let me explain what I mean. You heard from a friend, oh my God, you didn't invest in Tesla? Okay, one friend says that. Another, which gives you FOMO, right? <laughs> which is some meditation material, right? Another friend says, oh my gosh, you should totally invest in my friend is a hedge fund manager or a, a, my friend knows about this mutual fund that's earning like 100% returns, man, in the past year or two. You'd be stupid not to invest with my friend's fund. Okay. All right. But your friend's fund just gave you a one-year sample, a five-year sample, even a 10-year sample. We need 30-year samples. Repeat after me. We need 30-year samples. We can't look at one, three, five-year samples. Certainly not. 10 years is a little bit better. 20 or 30 years is, is really more accurate. So when a friend has a fancy fund, I'm earning 30, 50%, 100% a year. Say, yeah, but that's over, what, a five-year sample? Not, not long enough time. Because there are so many stories of mutual fund graveyards. And what's scary about this, this is truly a Halloween story, right? but what's scary about this is that you don't often hear about the mutual funds that go out of business because they quickly, like a fund company, they may have 20 funds, 50 funds in their history, and they don't tell you about the 40 funds that they closed. They only tell you about the 10 funds that are doing okay in the last 10 years. Isn't that, it's, it's kind of terrible, by the way. So the studies, the, the financial academics have shown us that if we take the graveyard of mutual funds, let's think about this here. Who is a better investor? Somebody who went to, got an MBA in finance, top university, has a whole team of researchers, and now manages a mutual fund, a fancy mutual fund that invests in biotech or invests in you know, marijuana stocks or invests in... AI or whatever, fancy. Okay. Who is smarter? Do they have more information or do I have more information? I always ask myself that question before going with a hot fund. Okay. Am I smarter with more insider information than professionally managed funds? No, I don't think I am. I don't think any of us are. Well, okay. We're not smarter than them. And yet they lose to the S&P 500 passive index fund 89% of the time. So why are we trying to beat the market people? If you can just stay pace with the S&P 500, which is what they're trying to do. Everyone is trying to keep pace with the average stock market. <laughs> they usually lose. It's surprising. They, you think they went up 100% one year? They might go down negative 100% the next year. Okay? All right. So... 
Ah, take a deep breath. So what this is, what this means is that you can be lazy and just put in a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars into the S and P 500 every single month. And you'll probably do better than 89% of the smartest hedge fund managers over a 20 to 30 year period. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, let me just take a pause and see if you have any questions before we move on to ethical and socially responsible investing. All right. So what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about socially responsible investing, which is fossil fuel free, you know, environmental, social governance, social justice, impact investing, all that stuff. We're going to talk about that now. And then we're going to, and then I'm going to give you a tool that I have spent hundreds of dollars, almost a thousand dollars to have vetted and I'm still continuing to spend money to, to make sure this tool is even better. It's a retirement investing kind of uh, planning tool that I that I spend a lot of time and energy in, into that I'm going to show you. And then we'll end with sort of the step-by-step, well, how do you actually invest? So that's what we're going to go to next. All right. So, um, oh, and thank you, Maria, for the question on expense ratios or fees. Yes, that that is one of the principles that I've given you here uh, that you can take a look at. Expense ratios do matter. And that was principle number nine, in fact. And in fact, um, there's a cool uh, resource here. Even a small percentage of change of fees matter. Get this. I'm going to show you this real quick here since, since Maria brought this up. If you invest $50,000 and every year you invest an additional $10,000, let's just, let's just use those numbers for now. If you went with a low fee fund of 0.03%, this is so low. I mean, it used to be decades ago that it was normal to pay 1% annual fee for a mutual fund. This was normal back in the 80s and 90s, okay? 1% each year. You said, 1%, George, that's not a big deal. Someone's managing money for me. 1%, I can give them 1% a year. Now it's down to 0.03%. That's how, again, human innovation, right? Like I said. So, but some, some, some mutual funds are still charging, let's say, up, upwards of 1%. How much difference does that make over 25 years? $100,000. That's well, well over a, a years of expenses for most of us. So like you could retire a year or two earlier if you had gone with a low fee fund, okay? And, uh, and the other cool thing for us to know is that shockingly, they did a study and found that basically the lowest fee funds are usually the best predictors of future success. Isn't that good news for us? Again, it comes back to the laziest portfolios usually win. And I, I want to tell you another quick story that, that, they, that they did. Fidelity, which is well-known brokerage, did a study of like something like a million of their accounts over a 10-year period. And guess what they found? The accounts at Fidelity that earned the most money after 10 years who, who were they? Were they the active traders that say, oh, I'm so smart. I'm going to buy Tesla, Apple, Amazon, Zoom at a certain period and then sell it. Were they the active traders who are buying and selling each year? Were they the people who had some money in this biotech fund, another money in their marijuana fund, another, right? No. The most successful investors after 10 years were either the people who were dead. <laughs> yes. People who had died within those 10 years and not touched their money and just let their money grew over 10 years in a, you know, or the people who had forgotten that they even had an account at Fidelity 
and they had the highest return after 10 years. They just put their money in, forgot about it for 10 years, and then they had more money than the people who are buying and selling, actively studying all the stocks for 10 years. Oh my goodness. So the, other, the next piece of information I'm gonna give you is, it turns out that nobody could find the source of that study, <laughs> okay? So that could be a, a midwife's tale or a financial advisor's tale, but Morningstar did write an article about this eventually and said that even though we can't find the source of that study, historically, it's been true. The least active traders have actually won the market over the long term. Yay for us who don't want to spend hours and hours every year, every day, right? Trading and actively trading all that stuff. <sighs> okay, good. We could, we could spend our time and energy. Guess what's the best investment? This is the last thing before we go into socially responsible investing. The best investment of your money and certainly of your time, you know what that is? One possibility is in growing your audience. Let me explain. It's true. We don't know if the cryptocurrencies and other digital currencies are going to completely destroy fiat currency and the normal stock market in the next 10, 5, 20, 40 years. We don't know. It could all go to crap, okay? All of our stock stuff. Um, excuse me there. But you know what's never going to go away? The trust that an audience has in you. Because if you invest money in growing an audience, which is what I always talk about in my other courses, right? Growing an audience. Imagine if you had nothing, if all of us suddenly had nothing, but some of us had a thousand people, a hundred people who have benefited from our content and our support and our you know, interactions over the years. Those people who have a hundred people who trust and like them and, and want to see them do well, a thousand people, 10,000 people, we can always go to our audience and start a GoFundMe campaign. This is everybody, you all know, I lost my life savings in the stock market. Will you be willing to support me for $10 a month? Whatever you, you, whatever you can do, a dollar a month, $10 a month. I know we're all hurting right now, but can you, can you support me for $5 a month? Some of us are not hurting. Some of us won in the crypto markets. You're millionaires now. You were right. Will you, can you support me? Do you, do you see what I mean? So the best investment truly is in people people who you have a large enough community who love you and they're not going to see you starve. Now, yes, even so, the stock market, I'm betting my life savings on the stock market. So, so in my household, I used, we have a big disagreement. My wife is completely 100% into the crypto, digital currency stuff. She just showed me her portfolio yesterday. I'm very proud of her. Crypto has been going up. She has like 20 or 30 different currencies. Okay, cryptocurrencies. Proud of her. Great. We used to argue about this like a year ago, six months ago. And I used to be like, you're wasting your money. And she's telling me, George, this you know, fiat currency is going to go away. You are. Okay. But then we came to a consensus. We said, you know what? Truly, if we take a step back, diversity is the best option or di diversification is the best option. So now I'm actually quite happy that we've decided to split our investments. It's like, okay, fine. When you make profits in your business, put it all into whatever you want, crypto or whatever, real estate, whatever. George, you know, when you make profits in your business, you put it into the stock market, whatever you want to do. We have peace in the household and probably good diversification, hedge, whichever. She has gold and silver. I think that's, that might be silly, but I can get 
5,000 year history, maybe gold and silver will do okay, right? So it's true if you want, if you believe, if you have some concerns about the fiat currency and stuff, you might want to put in, I, I would, I probably wouldn't say 50% of your money in crypto. I think that's dangerous. Of course, coming from my perspective, I'd say if you're doing it yourself, if you don't have a spouse to split the, <laughs> split it with you, I'd say maybe put in 20% into crypto, you know, and that's a good hedge against fiat currency, you know, shenanigans that might happen in the next 30 years. So, all right, let's keep going here. But again, for me, I'm still putting most of my money into the stock market. And that's what most savvy investors are doing as well. So, all right, let's keep going here. And let's talk about um, uh, environmental, social, uh, responsible investing. So I have, of course, resources for you down here at the section called social responsible investing. And why did I put it in quotes? <laughs> okay. Am I trying to, you know, make doubts about it? Well, let me first explain what it is. So social responsible, and by the way, I, I should mention, I happen to have an MBA in uh, social responsible business, uh, which we also studied social responsible investing. This was back in uh, almost 20 years ago now, uh, or oh, 15 years ago is when I got that MBA. Now that MBA really honestly taught me nothing <laughs> that I'm teaching today. I had to do a lot more research myself and um, give me just one moment here. I had to turn off the heater because I'm getting, getting so passionate talking about this stuff. Okay. So what used to be called social responsible investing these days, as of 2021 is called is really mostly people call it ESG. How many of you have heard of ESG? Raise your hand. Okay. Yeah. A few of us have. Okay. What is, so you could look it up, right? So what is ESG? That's what most people call social responsible investing. ESG stands for environmental social and governance factors in investing. So these are funds that, uh, so, so there are two things going on here with ESG investing. Part one are some funds that try, that study the factors that company, that, that study how well companies are doing in treating the environment and treating their people and complying with the law, basically. Okay, that's one, one side of ESG is, we're going to try to invest more in companies that are doing better in these areas. And the second part of ESG, the other side of it, is funds that divest, that do not invest in what are called sin stocks. They are literally, that's really a term called sin stocks, which is fossil fuels, for example, or tobacco, alcohol companies, gambling, porn, uh, civilian firearms, nuclear weapons, private prisons, et cetera, et cetera. There are, you know, uh, there are some other things as well. So most ESG funds. If you just want to get lazy like I like I am and passive, you basically invest in an ESG fund, and most of them will do both of these for you. They do not invest in sin stocks, and they also invest more money in companies that 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 have better you know track record for for environmental social governance. So you might say, well, George, why wouldn't everyone do this? That that, that makes a lot of sense. Well. Here's why. Because some people still respect that, yes, we are transitioning towards electric cars, you know, but still most cars are depend on gas. And let's not be hypocrites. Most of us still go to the gas station and get gas. <laughs> you see what I mean? So, so, so there's some doubt with ESG. It's like, well, let's not be a hypocrite because you still have some people you love who smoke. Yeah, we tell them not to smoke, but 
you know, if they suddenly stop smoking today, you know, they probably go into too big of a withdrawal. You know what I mean? Like, like gambling, are you going to divest from gambling? My parents live in Las Vegas. I don't want you to divest from gambling because that's going to hurt their economy. You see what I mean? So like porn. Okay. Yeah. Let's, you know, porn is probably not good for society, but some people probably do a little bit of that so that that avoids them from getting into trouble in other ways. I don't know. Right. We really don't nuclear weapons, but some nuclear uh, weapons uh, actually prevent war because of, you know, you know, I have more weapons than you. Well, let's not get into a fight. That kind of, you know what I mean? Like, we really don't know how history turns out, what are called sin stocks. And by the way, some companies that are supposedly doing good things might be evil in other ways, right? Like, funny thing. Here's, here's, here's what's funny about it. Amazon and Walmart do really well in ESG ratings compared to other companies. You know why? Because they make so much money that they have profits to pay consultants to write reports that make them sound really good. And so Amazon and Walmart have really high ESG ratings. And so when you invest in the ESG fund, you're investing in Walmart and Amazon and all the and Facebook, right? Facebook. So that's why some people call ESG a scam. So ESG says really too much greenwashing. You're really supporting the you know, consultants who are writing these reports, you're compensating ESG fund managers to buy bigger houses, okay? And really, your money is better spent doing the following, okay? Supporting campaigns that boycott bad products, supporting good corporate efforts by posting on their social media saying, please keep supporting this environmental effort, right? And, and, and putting your money into nonprofits. Maybe your money is better spent for society making money off of tobacco stocks and then investing, right? Because they're going to pay someone anyway. The profits, they're going to pay profits somebody. And investing your money into stop smoking campaigns. It's not ironic. Could be. How do you know? You don't know. And the other, by the, the other way, by the, uh, the other thing is your investment is probably such a small percentage of that company's capital. It really doesn't make a difference for them. Okay. So I don't know. I, I think ultimately our money is best spent supporting small creators. Those of us who... Like I, when I make money, I try to buy from people like us. That's what I try to buy from because I feel like that when, when you put our money towards a small business, it makes way more of a difference for them than it does that your money was 0.00001% in an ESG fund. So anyway, it's, it's an interesting thought. At the same time, the other thing that you need to know is that ESG will probably earn less long-term studies show why? Why is that that ESG will earn less over the long term? Do you know why? Because ESG funds are naturally constrained to say, we're, we're going to have to follow these bureaucratic laws and these bureaucratic policies about not doing this, not doing that. So naturally, the funds that don't have those kinds of you know, constraints will tend to make more profits over time. So it, it's, it's interesting. You should, you should look into this yourself. I, I am not convinced that ESG is necessarily good for everybody. However, I would say I'm like 55% into ESG. So I still do invest most of my retirement funds in ESG funds. So I'm like, you know what? Uh, yeah, I, I'm probably just, uh, yeah, I don't want to support, you know, ExxonMobil and tobacco and, you know, whatever, weapons and all that stuff. I'm just going to, and, and really what, what I'm doing is I'm saying, well, you know what? Even though it's not sure I'm really supporting a good industry, uh, you know, that is really that helpful. Even so, it does put more of the public's attention 
on ESG, and it does the public attention on it will tend to make corporations behave better over time. That's my argument. And so I have given you, I have given you some stocks that you might want to look at, some stock funds. Actually, there is one that I didn't put in here yet, so you can check back tomorrow. Uh, SDG is another good one that you might want to look at, which is companies that invest in uh, the UN sustainability goals, uh, kind of their, their products and services go towards the UN. So anyway, that's an interesting one too, that I put some money into. But um, anyway, I've given you right here on the page where I tend to invest for ESG. Mm -hmm. And I encourage you to look at this yourself and see um, if you want to do that as well. Okay. And there are even bonds for those of you who are uh, more conservative and you want to, you don't want the swings in the market, there are ESG bonds. So that's one right there. I'm, I'm purposely not saying them for the recording because it might change and I might change the document over time. So just come back to the document to see what I'm in, what I'm recommending at this time, and then do your own research. Okay. There's even a target date fund for ESG. BlackRock has, has one. And there's, I'm sure there are more as well. But BlackRock, BlackRock is a very well reputed, uh, it's it's the second, I think it's the second or third largest uh, mutual fund company in the world. Vanguard is number one. And then BlackRock and State Street are numbers two and three, one of those two. So BlackRock is a well-trusted fund. BlackRock has come out and said that the founder of BlackRock has come out and said that they are going to put more effort into ESG investing in the coming years. So they publicly come out for ESG. So, okay. All right. So um, let's keep going. I want to, I want to make sure we don't take too much time on that. If you have any questions, you know how to ask me questions by this point and let's continue going. We're, I'm going to now show you that tool that I have painstakingly made for all of us and we'll continue to improve over time. And then we'll finally end with how to invest. Like what are the actual steps? Okay. So let's check this out here. I'm kind of proud to show this to you. All right, on the screen, uh, before I actually go there, are there any questions before I continue? All right, so a couple of comments I, I wanna call out, thank you. Um, yeah, Juliet says a, that's a, that was a huge point about the power of relationships. Yeah, building a community that, uh, by the way, those of you who are listening to the recording, uh, there is construction going on in my house, nothing fancy. I wish there was remodeling in my kitchen, but it's not. It's just fixing a leak that the builder didn't, you know, didn't. anyway, it's, it's quite disrupted. I hope it doesn't bother the recording, but um, so yeah, uh, like I said, investing in our own, uh, our own audience of people who benefit from our content over years is probably the most secure investment, quote unquote, over time, but also put your money into the stock market or into crypto or whatever you, 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 you trust. Right. Uh, Sean has a really good point. Sean Galanos says, uh, speaking of responsible investing, crypto is a huge consumer of energy. My gosh, you, you all should look this up. Those of us who, who are just oh, all, all into crypto. Right. I, I was really looking into this a couple of years ago and you look up how this uh, cryptocurrency mining affect the environment. You know, I said cryptocurrency mining. That's all digital. How it doesn't it's not like mining gold out of the ground. No, no, no. Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin processing is something like it's sucking up more energy than like like some some small countries. I mean, it's it's horrendous. So it's it's worth thinking about these things before you just all go 100% to something, right? Just just be aware of it. Just be aware of what's going on, where your impact is, right? So um, Cecilia asked a great question to say, what? How do we think about investing in the stock market 
versus other things. Well, we've talked about crypto just a tiny bit, but what about things like property? What about real estate? All right, this is really good to talk about. So um, real estate investing really should be thought of as a business or a side hustle, not, yes, they call it real estate investing, but have you, those of you who have real, invested in real estate know that it's not just buying a, uh, buying a property, you know, buying a property, it's not going to, it's, it's way harder than investing in passive index funds that are going to, you know, make you eight and a half percent every year over time, right? But what happens is the people who have studied uh, real estate investing versus the stock market, and this is actually good for you to go onto YouTube and I'll, I'll show you, okay? I'll just show you, those of you who are fascinated with real estate investing, you should at least consider the, the alternative. So real estate investing, well, I've already, I was Googling this recently, real estate investing versus index funds. Okay. I want you to YouTube this and then watch a couple of videos and watch more if you can. But the videos I've watched or the research I've done basically said that they, you know, one guy I watched, one or two guys I watched said, I actually invested in an apartment, uh, you know, an apartment, and I invested in index funds. And over five years, I looked at my returns. And the funny thing was, they were about the same. <laughs> they were about the same, except that the apartment investing took me a lot more energy because I had to find a good deal. Think about this. Property investing, you, you have to do the following. You have to hunt for a good deal which is not easy because you're not the only one hunting for a good property, right? You're, it's, a, it's a big competition. You got to hunt for a good property. You got to be smart enough to find a good deal, number one. Number two, you have to take the risk of investing a lot of money into down payment probably, right? And um, do all the paperwork and all the, anyway, all, all the shenanigans, the hassle in buying a, a property. Number three, you either have to manage it yourself or you have to hire a property manager. And what I heard is that having a property manager is basically having a job managing the property manager. Let that sink in for a moment here. And then you have to uh, figure out when you're going to sell, if, if at all, or just earn, earn money. And you have to keep, you have to advertise your apartment or building to keep it filled because there's some vacancy periods and you don't want, vac you know, it's like, there's a lot to think about. It's not just, it's nothing like passive index investing. So basically I, you have a choice, spend time and energy. And those of you who have real estate, by the way, please chat below, what's, your, what's been your experience with it? Maybe you have a much better experience. You can spend time and energy and money in real estate investing versus spending time and energy and money in your own business, coaching, mentoring, healing, teaching, whatever, selling products that you're really into. I don't know what your business is, self-employment basically. But real estate is, is self-employment. If you're really into that stuff, it could be worthwhile for you. You could, you could be lucky and be in an in a upward cycle where it's like, oh my God, real estate's going up 15% every year. You could get lucky, right? So I have a cousin, in fact, who's doing really well. That's, that's his business. He, he was very lucky to have moved to China at a good time, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And he bought out a bunch of rundown places in China and he renovated them and sold them. And he's a millionaire. He did really well for himself, but the timing, he was very lucky. I mean, it, not everyone has that kind of luck and that kind of location and that kind of 
desire to do interior decorating and all that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have no no uh, skill in doing that. So if you have some skill and a lot of interest, a lot of passion, and willingness to spend that effort, you can make any kind of investing work if you really spend a lot of effort with it. But just be aware of day trading. That's the only thing I'd say. Be aware of day trading. Day trading is like the people who go, I'm going to buy Tesla this hour. I'm going to sell it the next hour because I'm so smart and I could see there's a 0.5% change and that's going to make me some money. That sounds so good, right? That sounds so easy. I'll work from home, day trading. Most of the people I know who day trade say it's way harder than it looks. And most of them have not done as well as the passive index funds. So you have a choice. Be lazy like me, invest in index funds, earn 8.5% year by year, forever, on average, and then spend most of our effort building an audience, building an audience that's truly the most secure investment, right? You have a choice, yes. Okay, so Dayan wrote in the chat below, and I remember now, uh, that, that he's in the per- process of purchasing a home. Purchasing a home to live in is different from purchasing property to rent out. Purchasing a home to live in, you essentially have 100%, you have 0% vacancy. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Because you're renting to yourself every month. So that's a different thing. But even so, you should look at YouTube videos or Google articles to say, does it make sense to rent a home or to buy a home? Because the math was surprising to me. It's actually not a clear-cut answer. You might say, well, obviously, when you're renting a home, you're throwing money away. You're paying someone else's mortgage. Really? Have you looked at the math? It might be shocking because the costs of homeowner, the unrecoverable costs of homeownership is almost the same as the unrecoverable costs of paying rent, except that with homeownership, you have more headaches because you got to fix all the stuff, the problems, whereas renting... You might have a headache that the landlord doesn't fix it, but a different kind of headache. So look it up. In certain markets, it makes sense to rent. And renting, by the way, gives you more flexibility because you can move, right? Uh, you know, but in certain markets, renting is actually financially better for your long-term bottom line than buying a home, which is really ironic. You should look it up. Okay. But if you're already buying a home, congratulations. Yay. Just be sure not to spend too much money in your home because here's one more thing I'll say before we go on. Land appreciates, buildings don't. So the problem that most homeowners do is they spend too much money renovating their home. Big mistake. Oh, I'm so proud of my home. I'm going to remodel my kitchen, spend $50,000 or $10,000 remodeling my kitchen because it's going to appreciate. I'm going to have, be able to sell it for more. Not how it works. Land appreciates, buildings don't. Okay? So be careful. Don't spend too much money renovating or fixing up your home. Just get, do it for yourself. You enjoy it, but not to think that you're going to be able to sell it for more in the future. Okay. Fix problems. Yeah. Pe- you know, potential buyers that want to say, you have a leak, <laughs> right? So we're fixing that, right? So, all right. Let's continue on here. Let's take a look. Okay. So here is the template. If you went into here, retirement investment planning, and you clicked on master copy, or if you click on make your own private, let's do that. Make your own private copy. Click on here. And now it'll say, would you like to make a copy? And click make a copy. All right, here we go. Okay, once you have made a copy, please rename the file so that you're clear that it's for you. So rename the file by clicking on the top left where the name is. And then, you know, uh, do, do it as, um, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna say Joselito. 
retirement investment calculator. Okay. All right. So um, here, sorry, I'm just going to make it a little bit so you can read, read the whole thing. Important thing, of course, is that even though I spent a lot of energy in putting this together and I am trusting this for myself, you should run these numbers by your own tax person or financial advisor to make sure that it makes sense for you. Because like I said, you're going to have a different situation. And by the way, you shouldn't trust a spreadsheet just like just because I put it together. This is about your retirement. It's very important that you that you make sure you get this right. Okay, so uh, let's let's take a look at this and let's see how we use this. I know there are a lot of numbers. I know there are a lot of boxes, but we've done our best. When, when I say we, I literally have got. I, I've worked with. I've worked very closely with one person who's a spreadsheet guru. Okay, his name is Sheets Ninja. By the way, uh, that's his business name. And I've worked with uh, a financial advisor to vet this thing. And I've worked with, no, I've worked with two financial advisors. Okay. So a spreadsheet ninja, two financial advisors, and a third um, spreadsheet financial guy who's more of a, more of a, uh, a amateur. So I've worked with at least four people to vet this thing besides myself. And this is the product that you're seeing. And I'm going to continue working with more people to make sure that this is accurate, more accurate over time. So I encourage you, when you come in here, you should probably come in here once a year to update the numbers for yourself to make sure things are still on track. Because I probably, so here's what I ask you to do. Come back, make another copy once a year. Take 15 minutes to update the numbers to make sure that things still look correct. Because I probably will have changed it within a, with you know once a year I probably at least have changed it and you'll see the change log uh, if you if you make a copy uh, if you're looking at the master copy the change log will be correct okay so let's actually use this and and, and look at this so does anyone want to uh, use their own numbers I don't want to put anybody on the spot if, but if anybody would like to be put on the spot and to use your numbers for the spreadsheet go ahead and chat below. Okay, everyone's really shy here. So we're going to make a fictional character. Um, and uh, we're just going to, yeah, we're going to make a fictional character here and just say, let's imagine someone, you know, let's say to this year, 2021, they're starting at age 40 with, and, and what is this number? So, so all these yellow boxes are numbers you could put in, okay? Um, put in the numbers in the yellow boxes and ignore, don't put in the numbers anywhere else, Okay. So you can input where there's yellow boxes. All right. Okay. Put in the current year, put in your current age, put in uh, the income needed is basically, imagine you were to retire today. How much money would you need each year? So you might also want to think about healthcare costs when you retire. Imagine you suddenly were, you know, 95 years old today, maybe not 95, but 85 years old, and you're going to retire in today's dollars. How much money do you need every year? It might be higher than 50,000. You might say, George, but what about inflation? Don't worry about that because I've got you covered. I've got an automatic calculation for you. So let's say, let's say um, you know, Bob needs 50K. He's 40 right now. This is 2021. He would need 50K a year at retirement. Okay. And at retirement, okay, that's the first thing. The second thing, and that's why this spreadsheet is going to improve over time. At what year does Bob want to retire? We should put that number in. Let's say Bob wants to retire at 70 years old. 
70 years old. And Bob says, yeah, you know, I, I can work for another 30 years just fine and then just live off of my money for the rest of my life. Okay, 70 years is the desired retirement age. Okay, what about partial retirement? So Bob says, yeah, you know, maybe at 65, I'll, I'll just start part-time working. Uh, 65 years old, I'll start part-time working. And so I'll decrease my income, which is my investments also by 50%, meaning I'll, I'll invest less. I'll invest, I'll invest half as much as I used to. Okay, good. So now that means when Bob is retired at age 70, the 50K he needs is really in, 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 in that time's money, it's going to be 104K. Does that make sense? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> inflation. And I said, George, where are you getting the inflation numbers? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's an inflation tab down here. If you click on it, you can put in what is your assumed average inflation percentage a year. Two and a half percent is, uh, I think historically has, has been about that. So I'd put two and a half percent in there. But you can adjust the 3% if you want. So that's a yellow cell, which means you can put numbers in there if you want. Okay, so what are we going to assume that Bob's going to earn every year, you know, on average? Eight and a half percent is a good assumption, in my opinion, if Bob is using the principles that we talked about in, in an index fund investing, et cetera. Okay, what is withdrawal rate? I recommend that you leave this alone. If you don't know what that is, if you want more information, you can always move your mouse over the, uh, the you know, the, the, the heading, and then there's more information there. But leave that alone. That basically means when Bob retires, Bob is going to expect to be able to withdraw 4% from his portfolio every year. And 4% does account for inflation because Bob was probably still earn 6.5% when he retires if at a conservative portfolio, account for inflation, that's 4%. Okay. So anyway... You can leave these two numbers alone if you don't know what we're talking about. You need to put these numbers in for sure, though, starting you know, current year, current age, and income needed. Okay. Now, you can also leave these numbers alone on the right-hand side, reducing risk. This is basically like, okay, Bob is going to start buying more bonds as he gets closer to retirement. So that's why the ROI goes down, but so does his risk, right? Okay. How much does Bob have right now in investments? How much does he have in tax-deferred investments? What is tax-deferred? Those of you who are in uh, outside the U.S., please chat below. What does tax-deferred mean for, for you? In the U.S., tax-deferred is basically an IRA, an individual retirement account. It could be a SEP IRA. Uh, sorry, it's either a traditional IRA or a SEP IRA is a tax-deferred portfolio in the U.S. In, uh, in the U.S., a tax-free portfolio is a Roth IRA, okay, which means I've already paid my taxes, I put money in, and when I take money out, government's not going to tax me. Tax deferred says, hey, I get a tax break right now, but when I take money out in the future, they're going to tax me at that point. Okay, Taxable is basically, well, I'm just putting money into a normal brokerage, and I'm getting taxed right now, and I'm going to also get, in, get taxed in the future. Okay, So how much money does Bob have in each of these? We're going to say 5000 is what Bob has in each of these. All right. These numbers, let's also put in, how much money can Bob expect when he retires to get from the government every year? Or maybe he has family members who will, will give him money. I don't know. But let's just say Bob will expect $24,000 um, in retirement assistance when he retires. $24,000 a year just from the government. Okay. Tax, uh, what's Bob's... Uh, income tax rate going to be when he retires, uh, let's just say 25%. And then we can leave that one alone for, for most of us, unless you know what is different in your country. 
Okay, now what about this? What does this mean? Future allocation means every year going forward from now on, when Bob invests money, how much of it is going to go into tax deferred? How much of it is going to go into tax free, like a Roth IRA? And how much of it is just going to be invested in a normal brokerage account? Okay, so for example, how much money in the US will you put into a SEP IRA? Or, you know, how much money will you put into a Roth IRA? And how much money will you put in taxable? George, why are these percentages rather than actual numbers? Let me tell you why. Because the actual amount of money you're going to save each year is put down here, here, and also here. Now, I know these are two different inputs, but just if you want to keep it the same, great. If you want to change both, that's great. Let's say $15,000, okay, each year. Okay. All right. So, um, Let's take a look at the results. If Bob has these numbers and is saving $15,000 a year until he retires, okay? Once he retires, he doesn't have to save any more money, right? Also, when he decreases at 65, he decreases it by 50%, meaning at 65, he starts sa saving 7,500 a year instead, okay? Check this out. That means Bob, if he retires at 70 years old, can live off of his portfolio Without, make, without investing any more money for 23 years. Isn't that cool? So Bob retires at 70 and he runs out of money at 93, <laughs> okay? Which means if, if I'm Bob, I'm paying attention to that and go, oof, so maybe I should keep working a little bit at 70 so that I don't run out of money at, at 23 years old, okay? Um, over on the right side, it tells us, Bob, if you retire at 73, you could live fine. Do you see what I mean? So, so, so you know what, Bob, just, just, just work for another three years, you know, part-time, because we, we put that in here, and you could fully retire at 73 and just live off of your interest, live off of the interest income from your investments forever. Does that make sense before we, before we finish up here? So thank you. Thank you for those who are, who are chatting. And um, April says, well, what was Bob's income? I'm glad you asked. I'm, thank you for asking. It doesn't matter what Bob's income is. All we care about is how much money he needs if he were to retire and how much money he will save every year. April, let me explain why. What if, Bob's, what if Bob is a high spender? He makes 100K a year, but he has to spend 85,000 a year just to, for his fancy lifestyle. Then Bob can only save 15,000 a year. But what if Bob is a thrifty person. He only makes 50,000 a year, but he's able to save 25,000. He's able to save half his money every year, right? Then suddenly, you, you, see, you see, April, what the difference is? We don't care what the income is. We just care how much we save every year, right? So if Bob saved $25,000 a year instead, check this out. Then he can retire. Let's say he could retire at what? 65, maybe? Let's say 65. 64? Let's, let's play with this. Yeah, okay. So if Bob were to retire, would save 25K a year, he could retire. It's five years. No, not five years. You know, uh, 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 whatever. It was 73 before. So eight years earlier, right? So, and April says, as a freelancer, my income is, is erratic. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm a freelancer too. And most of us here are self-employed, which means we're freelancers. So what that means is this spreadsheet 
actually, hopefully, motivate you to say, "I am going to commit to saving five thousand a year, ten thousand a year, fifteen thousand dollars a year." So the number you put in here should be your minimum. Should be your minimum. And as you、uh, become a more, you know,、uh, career successful freelancer over the years. Your minimum will go up. To say, you know what, my minimum was five k. I could say five k a year, absolutely. But guess what? My business is doing better. I think it's going to keep going like this. I'm now going to be able to save ten k a year. Does that make sense? So let this spreadsheet motivate you to save consistently. Okay. All right. So let's finish up now by looking at, and some of you may not even need this, but step by step way to invest. So if you're completely saying, hey, George, I love this, these ideas, but how do I actually put money into the market? Here's how you do it. You first choose a brokerage, okay? Choose a brokerage. So you basically, if you don't know, then basically choose Vanguard because that's in most countries. But if you want to get a little bit fancier, you can choose either Fidelity or Charles Schwab. All three companies are well reputed. They're going to be good. Fidelity and Charles Schwab have a better website in terms of the actual, you know, when you're when you're investing, it looks better than Vanguard, from what I can tell. But Vanguard,、uh, the nice thing about Vanguard is that it's owned by us. Vanguard is owned by the little people who put money in. Like as soon as you put even a hundred dollars into a Vanguard fund, you are part owner of Vanguard. Whereas Fidelity and Charles Schwab are owned by a few rich families who, you know, private investors. So, in other words, Vanguard has a long-term interest. That's aligned with the little investors, whereas Fidelity and Charles Schwab, of course, they still they want to capture as many little investors as possible, like us. That's why you know, but but anyway, they, they're trying to make money for the private shareholders. So that's why I, I tend to go with Vanguard, and a lot of people like Vanguard as a result. But you know, if you're with Fidelity and Charles Schwab, great, keep going because they have really good platforms as well. Okay, so choose one of the three, and then open an account there. If you're not sure what type of account, like oh, should I open a retirement account or whatever, ask Vanguard to say, hey, what kind of tax advantaged accounts do you have? Now, one of the drawbacks of Vanguard, I should definitely say this, is that their customer service is really slow. I don't know about Fidelity or Charles Schwab, but when you send a message to Vanguard, it takes them three weeks to respond. Two to three weeks. Yes, fourteen to twenty-one days. To respond, I know in these days it's ridiculous, but that's the reality of a small, you know, small investor-owned company, a co-op, is that they're trying to save money, like cut costs in every way possible, including getting back to us in three weeks. So,、um, if you're not sure about anything like this, you can always go to Google or go to YouTube and search. Let's say you're in the UK, Vanguard UK tax advantage accounts, and just kind of Google it and and you know save yourself the two or three weeks of waiting for them to get back to you. Okay, okay. So once you've opened your account, then you transfer money from your bank to your brokerage. And by the way, Cecilia, thank you for asking. What about other apps like Titan? I have never heard of Titan actually, but the apps that are really well known these days are M1 Finance, Robinhood, Webull,、um, and Cash App, and and other ones. Well, these are really well-known apps, and here's what I'm going to say: Stay away from apps. Stay away from N1 Finance. You're going to lots of YouTubers are promoting it because they make money promoting M1 Finance to you, 
or Robinhood or Webull or probably Titan is, is, you know, people are earning commissions promoting these apps. Why am I saying stay away? Here's why. Those apps will tempt you to day trade. And those apps will also tempt you to invest in individual stocks more than you should or in individual crypto funds more than you should. Okay. So that's why I recommend Vanguard, Fidelity, or Schwab, because those big brokerages understand that they want you to stay alive and thrive for 30 years. So they're going to encourage you to invest in index funds because that's usually who wins in, in the 20, 30 year window. Okay. So, um, I know Cecilia says Weeble is the worst name. I think so too. I don't know why they named it that. It's the reason why. Okay. The reason why I know Weeble, like we BS, right? A bull is the idea is a bull market is a market that's going up. And a bear, the, have you ever heard the term bull market and a bear market? Here's what it means imagine a bull. A bull is like going up. Uh, we can, we can, this is something I learned a long time ago that I always like, oh, that's so useful. Bull versus bear markets. Okay. If you go to Google and go to Google images, you will see what this means. Uh, no, this is not a good. Okay. So a bull is going upwards where a bear is attacking. So a bull attacks up where a bear attacks down. So a bull market is a market that's going up over time and a bear market is a market that's going down over time. Okay. So that's, that's what that means. Okay. Um, Dayon says, what about acorn? Uh, Acorn is another app that basically uh, takes a few cents and uh, a few cents here and there. I think when you spend money, they take the remainder of the money you spend and invest it. I think Acorn is for people who say, I don't have the discipline to invest every month. I know I don't have that discipline. So I'm just going to use Acorn to invest You know, the dollar here, dollar there. The problem with Acorn, I don't know Acorn that well, but the problem is if you don't invest additional money besides the dollars and cents that they invest for you, it's, you're not going to invest enough to be able to survive in the future. You, you have to invest enough to be able to survive in the future. That's why I gave you the spreadsheet. If you don't invest enough, you're going to you're gonna be penniless at age 70 when you need the money or 75 or 95, right? So um, yeah, okay, so let's keep going here. All right, let me finish up. So you have opened an account, okay? You have, uh, now you transfer money into account. Here's the thing I wanna tell you. When I transferred money into Vanguard, it took them a week to allow me to invest. The website was confusing. I was like, why couldn't I invest? It's been two days, the money's in, I still couldn't invest. So Vanguard, it, what you transfer money, wait a week, and then you can invest. So just, just know that, that'll save you some, some aggravation, okay? Once the money has been cleared, oh, I think I just mentioned that now, now you can start investing. Make the investment, do buy the fund, trade the ETF. Now you might say, what is an ETF, George? An ETF is basically a mutual fund. So we've talked about investing in passive index funds, right? Like the S&P 500. S&P 500 has a mutual fund. It also has an ETF. ETF is usually cheaper. The problem with ETFs is that you can only buy whole shares at Vanguard. Mutual fund, the problem with mutual funds is there's a minimum that you need to invest usually. $1,000 maybe is the minimum. But once you invest a minimum of 1,000 with mutual fund, you can now invest $10 a month and it's okay. Whereas an ETF, there's no minimum to get going, but then you can only buy whole shares. So if you only have $10 to invest, 
and the share is $150 per share, you, you can't invest until you get to $150, then you can put in your money. So it's a trade-off. Most people prefer to invest in ETFs whenever they can. But those of you who want to automate your investing, that's the other benefit of mutual funds. If you want to automate it, say, I don't want to think about it. I just want to have my bank take out money every month. Then mutual funds are probably for you because mutual funds, it's easier to find the automated feature of investing on mutual funds. Okay. So, um, okay. A good question here uh, is what are your thoughts on Vanguard's personal advisor services versus managing your own money? I'm, per I'm currently paying them a certain percentage. Not sure it's worth the money. Yeah. So Vanguard has something called the digital advisor services, which is like a robo advising. I don't know if you're talking about personal advising or digital advisor. The digital advisor is like a robot that basically says, well, we recommend based on your age and based on how much risk you can take, we recommend this fund or that fund. I prefer to do the research myself. The thing about digital advisor or robo advisors is that they do the balancing for you. So I want you to read about balance, re rebalancing. I have a resource in for that in my document somewhere about rebalancing. Um, okay, rebalance your portfolio. Anyway, you, you, you should read about that. If you're within 10 years of retirement, rebalancing is very, very important. Means sell some stock funds, put some more money into the bond funds. That's what rebalancing basically means. Every year, you kind of put a little bit more into the bond funds, right? So, um, okay. So I prefer to do it all myself, but you know, personal advisors, like I said, digital advisors are helpful. If you don't want to think about it, you just want to make it super easy for yourself. It might be worth the percent. And especially if you don't, if you want someone to talk you out of selling when the market's down, financial advisors are very worth their money as a result. Okay. So finally make your investments. Okay. And then uh, update your personal finance spreadsheet. So they can keep track of all your investments in one place. I gave you that uh, spreadsheet, uh, I think, in the previous session. And then lastly, set a recurring reminder for yourself to invest more every month. Remember, we, we, we talked about Tammy the Timer versus Monthly Maria. Monthly Maria wins in the end. So invest every month like Maria and like Manuela <laughs> and others here who have a name starting with M. Okay. So finally, um, I think I'm just going to end here because there's more stuff for you to take a look at to give you help. You can always ask me questions here in the document. And last thing I want to urge you to do is fill out the feedback form. <laughs> That'd be really helpful for me. Uh, there's a homework. There's a whole homework section down here for you to kind of step-by-step -step walk through it. But if you could fill out the feedback form, I'd be so grateful. And last thing is for those of you who are here live, who want to take a group class photo, you can stay for that. I also love, uh, be grateful for that as well. So those of you who are watching the recording or listening, thank you for being part of this course. Really appreciate your trust in me and learning all these different things. And then the last thing I'll say is don't trust me hundred percent about this stuff. You shouldn't trust anybody hundred percent or, or maybe not even 90%, maybe trust me 70% on this stuff and 30% of the, of the distrust, you need to do your own research to confirm everything, especially with your tax person. So with that, I look forward to hearing about your progress over the years as you make investments and you find yourself learning about this and finding yourself succeeding with this. I love to hear your progress or of course your questions anytime in a document. All right, so I hope to see you in a Q&A call at some point.